Coming up on Put It on the Board, it is a recap of three weeks of White Sox baseball. We've got a lot to make up for, a lot to uh, talk about and catch up on because Noah and I have been absent for quite a few weeks. So uh, the whirlwind of the Sox season has continued and a lot of frustrating, frustrating moments over the past three weeks that we're going to talk into. But uh, we both think we know what the White Sox are and where the White Sox are for 2023. Now that we have confidence in that, we talk about the impending All-Star game and the impending trade deadline. So who's going to Seattle to represent the White Sox and who might be putting on a different jersey come August? Uh, We've got a lot of baseball to recap, like I said. So without further ado, let's get into it and put some crooked numbers up on that board. This is episode 15, June 26th, 2023 is the date. Noah, we are back after a three-week hiatus. Uh, last episode, I believe, came out on June 6th, but uh, you were busy getting married, and I was busy at said wedding, uh, so we have been kind of out of commission here for the past few weekends, very busy, happy to get back in the saddle, talk some White Sox baseball, and recap the chaos that has ensued over the past few weeks. Uh, I, I don't know about you. Uh, we'll kind of go over things briefly, but I felt like the White Sox had a lot of opportunity over the past three weeks that would have put them right in the conversation in the American League Central and their failure to take advantage of that opportunity I think tells us everything we need to know about this team. Did you feel that same way? Like there was just so many games that I think this team gave away that would have changed the landscape of this season as a whole. Yeah, definitely. Um, I I think I mentioned this on Twitter, but along with opportunity comes bad, bad losses, like just brutal losses because those are the worst ones, right? When you feel like, you know, this is a game that we had, that we we should have won this game. Good teams win this game, and they didn't. I mean, I tweeted this uh, a week or so ago, but there was a week stretch there where all in the same week, the Sox had a 5-1 to one lead in the eighth inning. They lost that game. They had a, a game where they hit four home runs, and Dylan Cease had 10 strikeouts. They lost that game. And they had a game where Lance Lynn tied the franchise record for most strikeouts in a game. They lost that game too, all in one week. And it's like, man, like you've got individuals performing so well. And it's like Dylan Cease did all he could. Lance Lynn did all he could. And they still couldn't win the game. It's just, it's more frustrating than usual when stuff like that happens. But a three game swing at this point is huge, you know? Yeah. So let's kind of recap some of the major moments. So you had the the first win against the Yankees in that series. This is going back to June 6th when we last released an episode. Uh, Noah, we're in Washington together, and the Sox, you know, they do come away two out of three from the Yankees. You're feeling pretty good about their opportunity. They get a walk-off win against the Marlins on Friday, and you are going into the weekend looking down the barrel of potentially being two and a half, one and a half out of the AL Central, getting right back in the mix. That is when 
They go into the ninth inning up one to nothing after failing to add on to their lead for the entire game. Michael Kopech does five scoreless. You give up five runs in the ninth inning. You come back on Sunday. You have a five to one lead going into the eighth. That's the game that you're referring to. You drop that one and manage to lose two out of three to the Marlins. The Dodgers were overwhelming. I think like the Sox, I think did well to you lost that last game in extra innings, which was Annoying because you know it, they're not a very good team in extras, but that's a I mean, good the, Dodgers the thing team. Is I like, didn't expect anything. Yeah, the Dodgers are good, but the White Sox should have won that series. Like you know, should in they, hindsight, I mean, how do you say that though? Like, well, where, the White Sox had a had a game in that Dodger series where they hit four home runs and Dylan Cease had ten strikeouts and they lost. Yeah, that, I believe like, that's your five to four. Lost. It was, yeah. yeah. They had, that, so it that's was a your last nothing lead, and then Chris Taylor hit a grand slam to tie the game, and they lost an that's extra. That's true. That's that's one of those details that I kind of forgot about, and I thought it was a bad decision by Pedro Grafol at the time. He brought out Reynaldo Lopez in a situation where you like you can't give up a home run. You throw out the reliever that's probably the most prone to giving up home runs. Um and you end up losing that game. You go to Seattle and, you know, a lot of the same stuff. You you lose a back and forth game three to two. You come out and you steal one on on the back of Zach Remillard, who comes up and, you know, has that incredible debut. Uh, and then you get overmatched in the finale uh, with just kind of a dud offense. You lose two out of three there. Texas comes to town. You know, you lose the first one, you steal the second one, that third one, uh, the starting pitching just did not get the job done. Uh, and you lose that game six to three. And then this weekend, a three to one loss to Boston. And then you managed to kind of squeak out the last two. But yeah, I think overall, there was three or four games over that stretch where you mentioned that the loss to Texas where Lance Lynn strikes out 16 and like you, uh, they lose the game. What was the score of that game? Six to, or uh, five to two. The I think it was five to one. Yeah, no, five to one. Five to two. Yeah, they. It was Monday's game. So yeah, five to two loss. And actually, no, I don't. I don't know what game it was. It was Sunday. The Lance Lynn game was Sunday against Seattle. And oh, they so lost yeah, that's right. One. Seattle. Yeah, five to one loss. Lance strikes out 16, whatever it was. That was another game that I was annoyed by because I felt like Pedro Grafol uh, made a poor decision letting Lance Lynn go out to try and, you know, win the game, like get the franchise record in the eighth inning. He puts guys on base and then you bring in Aaron Bummer, I believe, came in after that and all those runs immediately scored. So, you said it best. Uh, you were at the game, that first game against Boston, that like the offense just kind of laid down and died early on. But this White Sox team is a 500 team. They do this up and down. It was funny before that, that Boston win on Sunday yesterday that gave them the series win. They had done, I believe it was three straight series of going or four straight series. They had gone loss, win, loss, loss, win, loss, loss, win, loss, <laughs> loss, win. And then finally got that uh, that win against Boston. Like they're repetitive, they come out flat to start series. They bounce back well. They can't finish games at the end of the series. Uh, they're a 500 team that had a long losing streak, and they're finding it very hard to crawl their way out of the hole that they dug for themselves. So when Rick Hahn says, "Well, we've been digging ourselves out of a hole," they haven't been. They've been treading water. 
Yeah, I, I thought it was funny. I think it was Griffol that said that just in the last week or so, something about, oh, you know, we dug ourselves a hole and we've been uh, tr- we've been digging ourselves out of it ever since. And I was like, have you though? Like you're two games under two games over 500 since that losing streak ended. So like that that doesn't seem like a whole lot of digging. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think we both agree with what this team is. They're they're a 500 team that had an unfortunate. 10 game losing streak in April. Um, I think we're both kind of expecting them to finish in the 74 to 76 win range, uh, which would pretty much put them playing 500 baseball the rest of the season. Uh, I think that's, that's about where we have this team going forward. Um, They'll probably after the deadline though. I mean, if you don't have, if you move some of these pieces, what does that do to your, your, that is true. I think this team as is, is probably a 500 team the rest of the way, but, yeah. You know, if you move, if you move Giolito, if you move a couple of your good relievers, there's probably some more games that get away from you there down the stretch. But it's been yeah, crazy think, uh, that they're not winning more games with how I don't know the numbers. I would have to look at. It. I feel like at least their starting pitching has been pretty phenomenal. Like Michael Kopech, we I mean, I, I think his last start was a bit of a rough one. But I mean, other than that, he had really found a groove. Dylan Cease has started to produce pretty quality outings each and every time out with some dominance and some, some of them with the strikeouts. Lucas Giolito's as consistent as it gets. And even Lance Lynn, the last two times out, has been good Lance Lynn uh, and giving you a real shot to win these games. And they're just like not scoring runs. Like, I think if you looked at the numbers on this White Sox starting pitching over the last month, you'd probably pretty uh, surprised that the fact that they're 500 over that span, given how well the starting pitching has performed. Um, I guess if there is a bright spot, it's wearing number 88 in center field. Uh, Luis Robert in July has hit 295 with a 667 slugging percentage. His OPS is over 1000 for the month. He's got a, uh, I believe eight home runs in the month of July so far, including I think three. You mean June. That's right. June. That's it is still June. Uh, I'm trying to get to this trade deadline as quickly as possible. <laughs> fair enough. Fair um, enough. No, it, it is June, uh, but eight home runs in the month of June, three in the last two days. He is now at 21 home runs. Uh, funny. I believe it was Len Casper said it on a broadcast. Every home run that Luis Robert hits from now on is a new career high. And he's sitting with 21 home runs and 885 OPS. So uh, uh, very surprising though. Like I was waiting and I I'll knock on wood, knock on wood here for Luis Robert, but I was waiting for the, like the crash again, because the Luis Robert that we've grown to know as White Sox fans is the guy who, is this dominant force and dominant bat in your lineup uh, and then looks like a lost puppy at the plate. And he's one of the worst hitters in baseball for a stretch. And I think he's gone through those downswings in June. Like we've seen him bad in June, but he, for some reason, continues to find ways to have one double, one home run, like one impactful at bat on those rough days, which I think has overall turned his numbers to look pretty good. Yeah, I think Luis Robert is still that streaky kind of guy that we saw at the beginning of the year. But I think the the downside of it has not been nearly as bad as it was in April. 
Um, if he's able to limit the those streaks where he looks like he has no idea what he's doing, um, and ultimately it comes down to plate discipline. It's the same thing we've been talking about with him all year is if he stops swinging at pitches out of the strike zone, like he's going to be unstoppable at the plate. So, yeah, it's it's really cool to see. Um, I, the other thing I wanted to point out with Robert is I don't know if you took a look at the MLB F war leaders coming into today, but if you take a look at the top ten, uh, Luis is officially there. So not only is he the best hitter in the White Sox lineup, but he is now among the best hitters in baseball. So that is just it's the one huge, huge bright spot of a season that's been largely not a lot of bright spots here. Yeah, I just did the math right now. He has 10 games in the month of June uh, that he has had two or more total bases. So talk about what I said, like, you know, find a way to have one productive at bat, whether that's, uh, you know, excuse me, double down the left field line that he just kind of finds a way to get his barrel to whatever it is, 10 games of two or more total bases and eight of those, he has three or more, seven of those, he has four or more. Uh, he has been, been very, very dominant from that perspective of finding a way to be not just the guy who gets on base, but a productive regular um like force to hit doubles home runs and drive in runs uh, i'd be remiss to say too I, I think we need to bring this guy up because he's not being talked about enough by white Sox fans but how about andrew benintendi because i feel like he's played some really good baseball over the past three weeks uh he's really starting to look like the guy that you thought you were getting uh benintendi even at his worst is never horrific he's never bad like he'll still find a way to get on base at a reason reasonable clip when he's not hitting home runs the ops and things of that nature can look a little bit worse but i've liked his outfield defense i think he's been consistently hitting and hitting extra base hits with uh with some more frequency here so i just want to give a quick shout out to andrew benintendi who i feel like uh, is a no-brainer to continue leading off for the white Sox moving forward he's been excellent yeah, his numbers, I think I saw the splits earlier today or last night, but um, since he moved to the leadoff spot, he's hitting like 330. So uh, that seems to be that seems to be the spot for him, especially with the way Tim Anderson has been struggling. I don't think there's any reason to lead off anyone except Benintendi at this point. Um, I'd still like to see some more home runs out of him. His overall numbers are actually a little bit below his career norm still. Uh, like it, it's moving in the right direction though. Yes, I mean, I think definitely. that OPS is like 725 or something. So it's probably his OPS plus is probably right around league average at this point. Um, but it's starting to move the other way. And if, if Benintendi has a OPS in the up higher 700s to like low 800s, I mean, that's the player you paid for is just a guy who's solid will play 155 games for you and do it every day. And so uh, and I mean, he's been good in left field. I haven't had any complaints with the defense in left field either. So, I mean, him and Roberts have really, uh, I think, been huge for this team, not completely tanking. Jake Berger was the guy who carried this team for two months. He struggled over the past few weeks or so, like just the hits have not, some of these hard hit balls he's hitting are, uh, you know, getting caught. And with as many home runs as he hits, he also gets out at a free like I mean he's a three true outcome guy in a lot of ways except minus the walks so 
really two true outcomes. He's a lot of home runs and a lot of strikeouts, a lot of doubles too for Jake Berger. He hits the ball hard. Uh, but the last two weeks, three weeks haven't really been his best baseball. And in that downstretch, Luis Robert, Andrew Benintendi have picked up some of the slack to keep the offense afloat. Let's talk about the guy you mentioned, Tim Anderson. I, I don't really know what to say. I don't know what happened. I don't know what you do because everything in my brain tells me it's time to trade Tim Anderson. I think you would agree with that. Like there's the change of scenery is needed for both him. And I think for the white Sox, I white Sox fans, you're at the game are audibly booing Tim Anderson at guaranteed rate field. Twitter has seemingly turned on him and rightfully so. I mean, he has been, a distraction at times he has not been a good baseball player the manager has some like commitment to batting him lead off and right at the top of the lineup and even when we moved him over to second and that felt like it was a little bit better he's like well we're still gonna try and work him over to short for uh like if we can so I don't know if it's a health thing I don't know if it's a mindset thing I probably think it's a little bit of both but Tim Anderson is a bad baseball player, not just not who he used to be. He's bad. I do think he is a net negative for this White Sox team. Having him around has hurt them more than it has helped them this season. And so as much as I want to say trade him, the issue you run into is he does have a team option for next season. And the shortstop market is really, really bad. And Colson Montgomery is just now getting back from his back injury. He's not ready. And what you do at shortstop, I guess, if you're committed to trying to win next year, at least avoiding the total tank. Like if you were doing a full rebuild, I'd say, okay, play Lenin Sosa at shortstop for 120 games and just see what happens or play Zach Remillard for all I care. I think the goal is still to try and be semi-competitive in 2024. So what do you do with Tim Anderson? I don't know. It's a, it's a really tough situation. Um, I don't care so much about the off field stuff. I know a lot of fans on Twitter are all up in arms about what he did or did not do off the field. I don't really care about that. Um, but I do care if it's affecting his play on the field. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know if that's the reason, like you said, that could be part of it. That could have nothing to well, do with it. Well, he has said as much. He said as much. He sat down with, I don't know who was it was it Ryan Clark he sat down with and he said like well you know you when you're dealing with all the stuff off the field it becomes hard to come to the ballpark and play every day he sat down with yeah with Ryan Clark on a podcast and said that stuff so like if that is truly what's in his brain all the time and it's why he looks distracted out there well now it does become a big deal because I was with you is it good for an athlete to kind of do the stuff Tim Anderson's doing off the field right now? No, probably not. You are a role model and are looked to by certain people and are held to a different standard. Should he be held responsible as a human being for what his personal life consists of? I think that stuff is probably b- belongs behind closed doors. I don't think White Sox fans should hate Tim Anderson or root against Tim Anderson for those reasons. But when you let it affect your job and you're coming to work every day and not getting the job done, fans are going to start turning on you. And like now, what do you, but what do you do with that? How do you regain Tim Anderson's focus? 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the criticism of Anderson is absolutely fair, um, but I don't think it has anything. The criticism should have anything to do with off-field issues. I mean, everyone's got their own issues, and I think that a lot of fans would be really disappointed if they knew everything that their favorite athletes did off the oh, field. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. I don't think that it's fair to dislike Tim Anderson because of something that happened off the field, you know, unless it's something criminal or something like that. Obviously that's different, but I don't think anyone has the right to sit here and be the moral police with him. But the criticism of the bad play on the field is definitely fair. I mean, we can look back and be like, uh, you know, we should give Tim the benefit of the doubt because of all the great seasons that he's had in the past, which is fine. But at some point, you need to stop looking at the past and start thinking about what can he give me now? And if he's not contributing to the baseball team on the field in the way that he should be, then there needs to be a change. And if that is moving him to second base, if that is finding a different team for him to go to, maybe a change of scenery is the right move. But I mean, well, let you, me read that at best. There's, there's not really a plan for when he's gone and you can say, well, Jerry needs to spend money, but I looked at the free agent class and I don't know if I want Jerry spending money on any of those guys. So well, he, here's the list tough situation. Here's the 2024 free agents, guys that have uh, either club options or opt outs or whatever. Javier buys number one. He's not going to opt out. He and he's bad. Like he's going to get paid by Detroit next season. So take him off the list. Brandon Crawford, Kike Hernandez, Nick Ahmed, Ahmed Rosario, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, Paul DeYoung, Adalberto Mondesi, Elvis Andrus, Didi Gregorius, Ari Adrianza, Chris Owings. Those are your free agent shortstops. None of those guys stick out to you or to me as being a, oh yes, go get him. That's a starting shortstop. I mean, like Brandon Crawford on a one-year deal wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, but I mean, the grass isn't always greener. The problem is that Tim Anderson's player op or club option is worth $14 million next season. And I don't think there's a justification right now for the White Sox to pay Tim Anderson $14 million going into 2024, given what he has done in 2023. So that's the issue that you have with him because like, like I said, everything tells you to trade Tim Anderson, but if you're not going to keep him at the end of the season, for $14 million, you should trade him. But are, do you have somebody better? Do you have a better option? It's a, it's a lose-lose right now to me. And like, I don't know where this is going to fall. And then you add the idea of like, the value is low right now. It's as low as it's ever been. And I don't know if a team's giving up anything of value for, for Tim Anderson in his current form. So like is the best option to to bring him back, exercise the option, hope he plays better and trade him next year. I I'm not sure. In my opinion, you've got two options really. You either A, hold on to him, you bring him back next year for the 14 million and you hope that he plays up to that contract and that he improves and then, you know, if you're not competitive next year, you can go ahead and trade him then. Or option B, you trade him you bite the bullet, you take what you can get for him. And in one of these other trades, maybe a Giolito trade, maybe a trade for one of these relievers, you get a prospect who is close to major league ready, who can play shortstop, 
something like that. That that could be a position that you target in one of these other trades. But the free agent shortstop's not really an option. And is it a problem? Well, is it a is it a problem to you knowing that you could target a major league ish ready shortstop to be the guy next season and maybe even for the remainder of this year? Knowing that Colson Montgomery is still a top 25 prospect in baseball uh, and somebody who you expect to be up by the end of next year and play shortstop, like, do you want to create another problem for yourself there? Like, so, I mean, that's the other issue is how much of a solution is finding a long-term solution when you think the solution is already in your system? The White Sox have no talent in their farm system. So at this point, I would like to just collect talent, figure out where to play everybody later. Um, Obviously, you don't throw first baseman in the outfield. We've tried that and it doesn't work. But infielders in particular, you know, you have a guy that can play shortstop well can also play second base. I mean, well, well, and with his size, Colson Montgomery could probably play third pretty easily. I don't know if he's going to play a great third base, but like. With that length that he has, I, I could see him being a serviceable third baseman. And that was always something that they talked about uh, with him coming out of the draft was uh, like, I mean, his his comp was Corey Seager a lot. But, you know, Corey Seager has a brother who is built pretty similarly and uh, played third base for a very long time. So. Yeah, I think that's the interesting part about this deadline. It's why I think it will at least be exciting for White Sox fans. I know that it's heartbreaking to think about where we could have and should have been and where we are and the idea of, oh, this didn't work with this group and now it's over with this group is a very tough pill to swallow. But it will be at least exciting to have some hope again because we don't really have any right now. And I think, I think at least we'll see what they do. If I'm the White Sox, I am targeting as much major league ready talent as possible. I think that's the best option for them. So we'll kind of transition here into our deadline discussion. Now that you and I have sort of come to terms with what they are. uh, I think we know that they're going to make some moves. They're going to make some trades and shake things up. How much we'll we'll talk about, but I think that the prospect that you target if you're the White Sox is somebody who you think can fill a gap for the remainder of this year and be on your major league team on opening day of 2024. I don't expect the White Sox to trade Luis Roberts, Eloy Jimenez, Yuan Moncada, uh, Andrew Vaughn, you know, Dylan Cease, Michael Kopech, like these are guys that are going to be on your roster next year. Andrew Benintendi obviously is under contract. So knowing that you have a a group of guys you feel good about already plugged in as your core, what kind of young talent can you take a shot on and try and retool your farm system while retooling your major league roster? So it's those starting pitchers. It's those shortstops that are close to the majors. If Lucas Giolito is traded or signed somewhere else in free agency, one of those things seems likely to happen. You probably need three starting pitchers next year. Maybe one of those comes internally, but you got a lot of holes to fill and you need major league ready talent to do that. So, I mean, you're on the same page as that, right? Like, I don't. I know a lot of people probably want them to take a shot on some of these young guys again that could, you know, develop into stars. But 
I think the smart move for where they are as an organization is to see how quickly they can get some of the young talent up. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is when you are a White Sox fan. I mean, you look at the offseason, you look at all the holes you have to fill, and you can just pretty much write it down that they're not going to fill all of them via free agency or trades or spending money. They're going to have a couple of prospects up and they're going to hope that they're good. They're going to have a couple happens. internal, we'll see what happens guys up as well. Yeah, like not I even necessarily be... highly regarded prospects around the league. We're talking about a guy that had a solid year in AAA and the Sox are it's like, the well, Romy Gonzalez's. it's the Romy yeah. Gonzalez's who like, uh, you know, Romy's been better over the last few months. I think he does have a role and a purpose on this team. So, and I, I like Romy Gonzalez. I, I don't like rooting against Romy Gonzalez, but going into an off season, this off season with Rick Hahn saying, well, a lot of people love Romy Gonzalez after you don't bring in a second baseman is what being a White Sox fan is. That's what they do. Uh, and whether that's Davis Martin in the rotation or Jimmy Lambert in the rotation or, stretching out Garrett Crochet. It wouldn't surprise me if the White Sox tried to fill a number of their rotation spots with guys that are already within the organizations and wiping their hands saying, well, hopefully this works. We feel really good about this and not doing it all the way. And so, yeah, I mean, when you keep that in mind, that's what being a fan is like. You have to, I would love to tell you the White Sox could sign three starting pitchers and a starting shortstop and uh, get a bunch of bullpen help and free agency. That's not going to happen. No. And that right there is why this Lucas Giolito situation just drives me absolutely nuts. And uh, you got me started. It's time. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'll say too, I'll kind of tee you up here. I think I was in the camp of being ready for the Lucas Giolito trade. Not for, I like Lucas Giolito. I've always liked Lucas Giolito, but I I had kind of worked myself up to being like, all right, here we go. I got excited about the idea that Giolito could be the best starting pitcher on the market, especially with the way the Cubs are uh, working their way back into this thing behind Marcus Stroman. And if they extend him or are in the race and decide not to move him, Lucas Giolito is likely the best starting pitcher in a market that has a lot of demand for starting pitchers, and the White Sox could get a haul for him. That is exciting to me. And then I watch how consistent he is every five days, and I hear a guy who was once disgruntled with the organization about over arbitration say, I have such an allegiance to this this organization for letting me fail, for sticking with me. I'm not even worried about my future right now. I want to be a White Sox and I want to make the playoffs with the White Sox. And you hear a very genuine guy talk about why he wants to be here and the loyalty he has to this fan base and to this city and to this organization. And that's a guy that I like, that's a guy I want locked up. That's a guy that I want. Maybe he's not an ace. He's not your Cy Young type of guy, but he's a one to number two starter consistently year over year he had a bad 2022 but this is now four years of Lucas Giolito being like a really good starting pitcher and yet he is also put like you feel like you're in a Tim Anderson situation you're not going to bring him back 
That was clearly a decision made by the organization ahead of time. They're not going to pay him. He's going to get a lot of money. So you have to trade him. But that sucks. (laughs) And I think that's where your frustration lies. That's exactly it. I mean, that sums it up. You should absolutely be extending Lucas Giolito, especially because you look at the offseason and you say, well, Clevenger's gone. He's on a one-year deal. Lance Lynn, $18 million option for next you year. Can, Probably you can not. Do, you can do two starting pitchers in an offseason. You can do that by me. And you can do one middle free agent signing and one young guy at the back end. If you tell me, look, we have Giolito, Cease, Kopech locked down. You can sell me on that. Two, I'm a, I'm off. So, like, yeah, everything in baseball, baseball rules, roster construction, your contract situation moving forward, Lucas Giolito's performance, his relationship with the organization, the love the fans have for him, everything tells you you extend him. And I think there's no chance that that happens. No, they made that decision before the season started. I mean, Bob Bob Nightingale wrote the article in April that said the White Sox do not plan to bring back Lucas Giolito. And say what you want about Bob Nightingale, but he's usually pretty spot on with his White Sox notes because he talks to somebody in the White Sox front office. So that decision has been made, and I don't think anything Lucas, – Lucas Giolito could win the Cy Young this year, and I don't think the Sox would re-sign him because they had already decided at the beginning of the year that that's not happening. So it's just, it's ridiculous. He's their best starting pitcher. They don't really have a rotation next year. There's no plan to replace him and they're just going to let him go. There's no young guys. There's no young talent ready as a starting pitcher. Especially with Davis Martin now having Tommy John, he's probably not coming back till mid season next year. So you can't even, you can't even say, well, you know, we like Davis Martin at this point because you're not going to be able to rely on him next year either. So That brings me to what you said. Since that is a given that Lucas Giolito's gone, you can't keep him. You got to trade him. Because what's the point in holding on to him? Maybe you offer him a qualifying offer, but we know that Jerry hates those because he's afraid they might be accepted. So maybe you offer him a qualifying offer and you get a second round pick when he signs with the Angels. Like, that's dumb. I. I think he's going to get a good return. He's, you're probably getting a top 100 prospect for Giolito. You might point get, because... you might get, you might get a top 40 prospect. Like I, I do think the yeah. return will be really impressive for him. And and you probably, I think you can get two top 100s. Yeah, like it's for, it's for the reasons you said. The Giolito is probably the best starting pitcher that's available. He he might be the best player that gets traded at the deadline. It's possible, yeah, because you've got a market, and the expanded playoffs have a lot to do with this, but you've got a market of a bunch of fringe playoff teams that are not going to sell. They're going to try and win to get into the playoffs, and then you have really, really bad teams that don't have any players that are desirable, like Oakland, Kansas City, Colorado. Nobody wants anyone off of those teams. So if you're in a situation like the White Sox where you're probably not in it, but you have some good players – that's like the perfect ideal selling situation for the White Sox because the price for a guy like Giolito who is having a good year and is probably the best starting pitcher available at the deadline is going to be high. So as exciting as that is, that it's going to be a boost to the farm system, it just drives me up a wall that this guy who's your best starting pitcher 
and you don't have a plan to replace him. You don't have any, you have two starting pitchers under contract next year. And it was already decided before the season even started that you're not bringing him back. It's just ridiculous. And all the success that he's had in a White Sox uniform. I mean, he's not Chris Sale level of like White Sox legend, but I mean, we've seen some pretty cool Lucas Giolito moments from the no hitter to the uh, the playoff game and against Oakland that he just kind of took over. And we've seen, you know, as he said, we've seen 2018 Lucas Giolito be the worst pitcher in baseball. We've also seen Lucas Giolito's ascension in 2019, 2020, 2021, and now 2023 of being a very, very good quality starting pitcher that you know, has made an all-star team that has been very consistent, uh, that, you know, has always been exemplary as a teammate, as a guy, as, uh, I I love how he is a face of players to fit. Like he's very engaging with fans, with his Twitch streaming and his, he's active in media and podcasting. He does stuff like that. It's nice to have a guy that's a face and a voice like that and respected by many on the White Sox. Uh, and yeah, it's a tough guy to see go, especially when he's playing at the level that he's playing right now. Uh, before we wrap up, let's talk about everybody else. Because I, I think you and I both, I believe Lucas Giolito will be traded. I believe he will be traded for a nice package that makes the blow softened a bit but still leaves a bad taste in your mouth. I believe Dylan Cease will stay uh, and will be the White Sox opening day starter next season. But who else, right? I mean, we've got Joe Kelly. We've got Keenan Middleton. You've got Yasmani Grandal. You've got Hendricks and Graveman and Moncada and Anderson and a lot of names here. Elvis Andres is an expiring deal. So like, who will the White Sox find a buyer for and who will be traded in your opinion? Yeah, Giolito's gone. Um, I think Joe Kelly is probably very, very likely to be traded. Uh, yeah, he's an expiring, he... expiring contract at the end of the year. He's been pretty good at times for the White Sox. So I definitely think they will make a move on that. Um, some of the guys that I think are interesting are the ones that expire at the end of next year or have options. You know, Anderson's one of them. Uh, Liam Hendricks is one of them who has an option for next year. Um, Kendall Graveman is under contract for next year as well. Um, I think those are intriguing. And I think it really kind of comes down to whether the White Sox see themselves as competitive next year or not. Um, from an outside perspective, I think it's going to be very, very difficult for them to compete next year. And personally, I would shoot for two years from now, and I would trade everybody that's that's under contract for this year and next year. Um, but I'm not sure the White Sox see it that way. Uh, the other guy that I think has a good chance at moving, actually, is Keenan Middleton, yeah. who has kind of broken out in a sense with the White Sox. He's been around a few years. He's been with a few other teams, but he's having the best season of his career here in Chicago. Um, And I think that's something the White Sox could capitalize on. You can get something for a guy like that. I mean, even like, look at like Ryan Tapera, like look at like these guys that the White Sox have been involved in trading for like Tyler Clippards in the past. Like 
these guys are valuable if like these middle middle relief guys if they're dominant and they can you know succeed in high leverage and they're cheap keenan middleton's worth what 400 that not even that 300,000 to the team that acquires him at the deadline like yeah um really quick we do have some roster news for the white Sox as of 10 minutes ago oh okay um the white Sox have recalled outfielder adam hazley from triple a charlotte and optioned jose rodriguez back to birmingham (laughs) so adam hazley joins the white Sox before the los angeles angels series begins tonight and jose rodriguez who uh, I think got in a game once or twice. He played as a in one game. Replacement. He played <laughs> in one. Uh... He came up. He, no, he was a pinch runner, and he scored a run, uh, the winning run, in the game that it, it was the. I guess it wasn't the winning one. It was the tying run at the time in the Texas game with the bad call at home plate with Jonah Heim, which we haven't mentioned on the podcast yet, but was an absolutely horrific call. Elvis Andres is very out at the plate. There was no reason for that to be overturned. We'll take the win. Um, But yeah, Jose Rodriguez came into that game. I think he was pinch running for Gavin Sheets uh, and ended up coming around to score on the game tying single by Andres. Uh, So yeah, he played in one game over a week and I, we're getting so sidetracked here. We'll, we'll try and we'll get this out of the way. We'll rein it back into trade deadline stuff, but what are we doing? Calling up Jose Rodriguez for a week or 10 days, whatever it was, and then just not playing him? Like, who did that help? I I guess it serviced your need for an option behind Tim Anderson as your 26th man that could play the infield that was on the 40-man roster and healthy because Lenin Sosa was hurt when they made the move. But how did that help Jose Rodriguez at all? And they and they disguised it as well. We think it'll be really useful for him to see what we're all about up here. He sat on a bench for eight days, and now you're sending him back to Birmingham. Like that doesn't help a guy's development. This is ridiculous. It's what they did with Sosa. It hurt Sosa last year. What like ah, I'm annoyed by it, but whatever. It's yeah, I mean, it, our problem. It didn't make much sense to me, but I guess they just didn't really have any other options because Sosa was on the IL at the time and Rodriguez was the only other infielder on the 40 man roster. Congrats to Jose Rodriguez for becoming a major league player. Uh, Didn't get a single at bat. I was wrong. I've been saying he would never play big league baseball and that still might be true. Just uh, he just got a nice little seven day stint that he got paid for $4,444 a game. And Got to score a run one time, so I'm sure that was fun for him. Um, reining it back in here to to trade deadline stuff. Yeah, I think I think Gilito's gone. I think Kelly's a goner. I think uh, Middleton is gone because all of those guys have some value and do you no good after this season. Um, I think Yasmani Grandal will get traded. I don't think you'll get a ton for him, but he has been okay. Uh, as a catcher and has a veteran catcher and a guy who has been in the postseason before. So I think his OPS is like seven sixteen right now. He hit his sixth home run the other day. Um, I think I'm just get praying. Through. I'm praying that if the White Sox do that and they move Grandal, that they let Carlos Perez start at catcher. Because well, I, I just cannot 
handle the fact that that might mean Sebi Zavala is your everyday catcher for the he rest. He is of the his numbers like he's managed to fly under the radar somehow. I guess because of all the other like bigger name guys that are underperforming or or frustrating us, but Sebi, Sebi Zavala it, like his numbers are shockingly atrocious. Like shockingly bad. I think his OPS last I looked was like 450 and it might even be worse now. It It, it is crazy how bad he is. Um, so yeah, I, I think they'll call up Carlos Perez, who's doing pretty well at, at, in Charlotte. They'll trade Yasmani Grandal. They'll run that platoon for whatever the remainder of the season. I do think, I, I think Tim Anderson stays right now we'll see we'll do a we'll do another trade deadline podcast when it gets closer and really come with hard predictions i like i'm talking who gets dealt to who for what we're gonna have one of those shows when the deadline is approaching but i think those three and four three to four guys are probably very likely to get traded unless the Sox go on a uh, cincinnati reds type of 12 game win streak right now um what i don't expect is a full teardown. And I know we've talked about this a little bit in the past, but I don't think, you know, guys like Dylan Cease, Luis Robert, the guys that'll have the biggest returns if they move them, I don't think they're going anywhere. Those guys are under contract. I don't think Rick Hahn or Jerry Reinsdorf. Jerry's not signing off on a full rebuild. He's not. The problem is Jerry's also not signing off on a full spend shopping spree to uh, build a winner, but he's not signing off on a rebuild either. Jerry is signing off on being mediocre as he has his entire life. Yeah. Well, so last thing real quick, uh, I meant to bring it up earlier. I didn't, I think we're both in agreement as the all-star selection approaches. Luis Robert will be the white Sox only representative. Yeah, that's, that's where it's trending for sure. I thought, I thought Jake Berger really had a good shot for a while at also getting a bid as the backup DH that like Otani will be the starting DH, but the players will vote on a backup DH. He probably still has the best numbers of all the options, but I do think that a little bit of the, the shine has started to fade just with the bat last. I still think Jake Berger is going to be excellent the rest of the year. I think he'll hit 30 plus home runs. Uh, but I think from an all-star perspective, he, the last couple of weeks have kind of killed his chances a little bit, unless he were to really get hot here over the next week before the selection. Um, that's all I've got. If that's all you've got quick update, looking at the AL central, the white Sox are at six back right now, six games back. So still yet to be buried on their two game win streak. Funny. They would have been five back had the Detroit Tigers not completely botched a game yesterday against Minnesota. Um, with an error by Nick Maton in like the eighth or ninth inning, whatever it was. So uh, we're coming at it today. The Sox, uh, the schedule really doesn't get much easier because they're playing the angels who have been pretty hot recently. They've got four in Los Angeles against the angels. And then hopefully a little bit of a break this weekend because they get to play the Oakland A's who are 20 and 60 right now. Big, big week, big series against the angels. I think because the twins are in Atlanta against the 50 and 27 Atlanta Braves uh, for a three game series. Meanwhile, the Cleveland guardians who are currently sitting right back in the division, just two games out of first place, they will be, at Kansas City. So this could be the week that Cleveland retakes the uh, AL Central lead. 
But four with LA, three with Oakland. We'll talk to you guys after that series. Yeah, it's uh, not an easy stretch. It, the May schedule was where everybody said, this is where this team's going to be able to get back into it. And they just kind of treaded water. So yeah, and I looked to, at it, uh, we were talking about this stretch, Noah, too. Uh, like, let's go over this real quick before we wrap off here, because I want to say this. We heard about this stretch of what was it, 19 games against teams over 500, where you went Yankees, Marlins, Rangers, like whatever, the stretch yeah, they're in right like now, that. which is supposed to end with the Angels, then Oakland. This thing doesn't get easier for them. Like, they go Toronto, St. Louis, Atlanta, and the Mets are their next schedule. And like, when I looked at it, frankly, their easy schedule begins in September. St. Louis goes to the All-Star break. You come out of the All-Star break, like I said, Atlanta, the Mets, the Twins, the Cubs, Cleveland. August is Texas, Cleveland, the Yankees, Milwaukee, the Cubs, Seattle. Like, they play some good teams. There's not really a break. September is where it eases up, and you go Detroit, Kansas City, Detroit, Kansas City. Minnesota, Washington, Boston, and then you end with Arizona and San Diego. But like that, that's your easy stretch. But this thing's not letting up. There's good teams coming to town every week. So I don't see where the win streak comes in, to be honest with you. No, I, I don't think it's coming. I think we can safely say the it's win not streak, happening. The, it's the not the 10 game win streak is not coming this year. So, I mean, I. Like we said earlier, we're both on the same page. We we both kind of expect uh, some ebbs and flows for the rest of the season. There will be a couple of weeks where they play good baseball. It looks like they might be back, and they'll follow that up with losing some games they should win, as most 500 teams do. So I just hope they don't do something stupid and get really hot, like coming out of the All-Star break, and get to like three back, and then don't do anything, or buy, or like do something that hurts their long-term and it hurts them long-term just to be fruitless and end up with them, you know, in third place. But all right, that's all for this week's show. Uh, we will be back next week. We're back into the groove here. So uh, hopefully weekly shows from now on as uh, Noah and I are both settled back in July. It will be July next time we talk to you on the podcast and uh, we Keep chugging along. All-star game, Luis Robert all-star appearance, likely, and a trade deadline approaching. So hang in there. Keep watching that those uh, White Sox baseball games. So draft coming up, too. I should mention that. We'll have some draft preview coming up as well. But uh, until next time, put some crooked numbers up on that board. We'll see you.